going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Cybersecurity is top of mind for many, not only when it comes to your personal email and getting hacked, but what about the upcoming federal election? That's issue numero uno on the podcast today. We'll also get an update on fines for not abiding by the city's snow route parking ban and the latest on the Edward Downey murder trial. As always, thanks so much for tuning in to the Calgary Today podcast. It's a new report from the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity. It's warning state-sponsored players can conduct sophisticated influence operations by posing as regular people. Now, this is Canada's Federal Cybersecurity Centre, and it says foreign countries are very likely to try to advance their agendas in 2019, a.k.a. general election year. It's by Biden manipulating Canadian opinion with malicious online activity. Now, the center says these online actors create social media accounts or hijacks existing uh, profiles and even set up troll farms of employees paid to comment on traditional media websites, social media and anywhere else they can reach their target audience. Now, this new center, which is a wing of the Communication Security Establishment, which is Canada's electronic spy agency, brings together experts from the CSE, the Public Safety and Shared Services. CSE warned in the report for the Liberal government last year that cyber threat activity against the democratic process is increasing around the world and Canada is not immune. And mounting evidence has since pointed to online Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. I have my own thoughts, honestly, on the influence of social media and how much you should really take into consideration when you're deciding when you go to the polls every year and or every time and that kind of thing. But I'm going to leave that. I'm going to park that for just a second. And we're going to bring in from the Cybersecurity Canada President Victor Beitner. And what I want to talk about is the impact on you because this report also dives into the issues surrounding your own cybersecurity and what you need to be aware of as you're going around in your email and that kind of thing. So, uh, Victor, thank you so much for hanging on the line there, and, and thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. With the report released today, what should Calgarians and Canadians be keeping in mind? Uh, well, uh, based on the key judgments, uh, cybercrime, you know, like the first paragraph, cybercrime is the cyber threat most likely to affect Canadians and Canadian businesses. Uh, we're seeing this on a daily basis where uh, different types of cybercrime are happening uh, quite often. Uh, the trend today is uh, business email compromise where uh, people will will hack a computer, take over someone's account and start pretending to be someone else, which you've seen before, but now they're using it uh, to get people to pay invoices. Mm-hmm. So we've seen transactions uh, go through anywhere from, you know, the the high thousands to three hundred thousand uh, dollars, which uh, have left the country uh, because people have impersonated the uh, the suppliers. So we're seeing some of those uh, lately. 
uh, with cybercrime, we're seeing a lot of people are getting ransom attacks, and if they, you know, they do any uh, online news, they'll see, you know, the typical threats where they say they hacked your computer. And this is for consumers and also for businesses. Uh, they will tell you that they hacked the computer. They they recorded uh, you visiting pornographic sites. And they have all your contact information from Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and your email contacts. And then if you don't pay us the, uh, the $900 in Bitcoin, uh, we will send it to all your contacts. And if you want to avoid this from happening, uh, just pay us and we'll leave you alone. And uh, this is becoming, like, I get those... Uh, probably once or twice a day mm-hmm. we see these attacks. And I'm actually doing a little bit of research. I'm finding out uh, what countries they're coming from, uh, and, and it varies. You know, it's basically uh, people have taken over uh, consumer computers and sometimes business computers. You know, they go to a malicious site, and they will send, they will use those computers to send out spam, and uh, they could impersonate that person, or uh, it, it really doesn't matter, but they're using other people's computers for their purpose. And we're finding the traffic coming from all over the world, and it's not necessarily, um, you know, these people are intentionally doing it. People have control, and the only common factor is going to be the Bitcoin accounts. And we saw one, uh, well, I saw one attack that, you know, they came to me and they said, you know, blah, blah, blah. We, we have all your stuff. We're going to send it out to everyone. And when I got the email, I checked to see if there was any money in the Bitcoin account. And it was zero. And then within uh, 24 hours, there was $1,000. Hmm. Not bad for a good day's work. Yeah. Another time, uh, I got another one maybe a, a week later. Uh, basically, they even included a fake password that they said I once used for my email, and that's how they got my information. And uh, it started off with about, uh, they had about $900 U.S. dollars in the Bitcoin account. And within 48 hours, they had almost 20,000 U.S. Holy. It works. It's, it's big business, but I assume it's something that those who are involved in it are probably taking home a little bit of cash because they're getting paid to do it even beyond, above and beyond what they're making off the unsuspecting consumer. Uh, well, it's, it's the people that own the Bitcoin accounts are the, uh, the culprits. Uh, it's, they're going after consumers. Uh, you know, everyone says I have nothing to hide. I don't do anything illegal. Uh, but then when they get a threatening email, you know, saying that we're going to, you know, send out all this information, uh, they, they're, they stop thinking rationally mm-hmm. and they will succumb to it because if it didn't work, they wouldn't be doing it. So people lose their, you know, their ability to think, and they fall for these scams. 
the easy way or the easy message, I guess, that's been uh, pointed out over and over and over again is if you don't know who sent it, don't reply to it. But these guys are going to some pretty big lengths to make sure they look like they're a legitimate, whether it's Netflix or whatever the case may be. Like they're they're doing everything in their power. Yeah, they're it's it's very sophisticated. Where you know uh, we've watched all these movies where uh, you have these con artists and they you know they'll take they'll steal money from people one way or another. Uh, today they're doing it through. Uh, the internet, so it's now a cyber crime. So they're doing, they're using the same social engineering tricks to make people believe that they're legitimate for whatever reason, whether it's uh, you know a state-sponsored type thing or uh, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. They're using the same uh, weaknesses that people have and exploiting it. Mm-hmm. Victor, uh, hang on the line for a second because I do want to get into the election side of things. And I'm also going to weigh in on on a bit of a comparison because I really have a hard time with this whole let's blame Russia or blame China or blame whoever because the ultimate blame falls on somebody completely different. But we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, We do have to head up to traffic for a second here first. uh, This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR, joined by Victor Beitner at the Cybersecurity Canada. We will rejoin that conversation next. Joined by Victor Beitner, he is the president of Cybersecurity Canada. And one aspect of this report uh, released by the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity, Victor, is that it's warning that state-sponsored players can conduct sophisticated influence operations by uh, posing as regular people, which is a challenge given we're heading into an election year. So as we as voters, should we be expecting more of what we saw stateside? I would expect yes, because we don't have the tools, uh, the resources to to track, to monitor these type of events, to validate accounts like, you know, Twitter uh, killed, um, I can't remember the exact number, but it was like millions of uh, Twitter accounts that they uh, checked to see whether it was fake news or whatever, uh, so they kill those accounts. Uh, Facebook is going through the same thing. It's the social media that, you know, it's so big, uh, you can't control it. You know, it's like its own entity, and because we allow such freedom, uh, anyone can do it. You know, anyone can post whatever they want, and, and because it's on social media, Facebook, it will be believed. If you're a uh, if you're actually a, a consumer on these social media platforms, would you have any advice for those who are looking to try to decipher what's real and what's fake in the world of news? That's a challenge. Uh, there are sites that uh, will do some verification of you know the latest trends of you know this new drug coming out and. Uh, does it really work, uh, you know, or, you know, was this person able to jump off a building, you know, with a, you know, with an umbrella and survive? You have all these weird things that are happening. And and one of the uh, sites called Snopes does try and do fact checking. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of them like that. But there's so much, you know, if you have 
tens of thousands of people uh, or bots uh, that are swamping uh, the news with these campaigns, this misinformation campaigns, uh, how are you going to control it? It's, 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 uh, right now, it's probably impossible mm-hmm. to control. So the only thing we can do is look at it, look where it's coming from, and if it's, you know, it's like, take everything with, uh, you know, we used to tell people to take things with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Social media, I think we need more than a grain. I think we need to start with a pound of salt. <laughs> a shovel full, maybe. A shovel full, yeah, a little bit more than a pound, <laughs> because it's so much. Yeah. It's just devastating to people. Victor, I appreciate the insight into today's report. Thank you for your time today. Uh, not a problem. There you go. Just a little bit of insight there into that report. Again, saying that don't be too surprised if you start seeing a lot of that fake news that you saw stateside. And I saw a lot of it on Facebook and Twitter was, and some of it was just so unreal that I sat there and went, there's no way Hillary Clinton is really Ronald Reagan. What? Donald Trump really works for the Nazis. What? We tend to blame the Russians for this or we blame the Chinese or whatever the case may be. Who we really need to blame here is ourselves. Start some independent thinking. Think outside the box and think outside the 12 second snippets that you hear every so often. Just do some thinking. And don't let the internet guide you. Because there was one point in there that Victor pointed out correctly, which is you have to take it with a grain of salt because there's just so much out there that if you start to actually start buying it, you're going to buy it all. Scalger today on 770 CHQR. The recent snowfall not resulting in a snow route parking ban in our city, and it doesn't look like we're going to need one over the next few days. But if a city committee has its way, we could see increased fines sooner rather than later because it's about time where everybody knows what it's all about. You know the rules now. Education versus enforcement comes into play. Councillor Shane Keating joining us now on the program. Councillor, thanks for the time today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always great. Parking and snow route parking, you guys uh, talking it through in, in Transportation Committee today. And one of the things that came out was an idea of increasing the uh, the amount of uh, tickets, and, or sorry, the, the fines for tickets. Um, what's the rationale here? When we looked at a comparison of other municipalities, we were the lowest uh, of any fines across the board. And then second to that was if you paid in advance, the fine was even lower. So it did get down to a point where uh, if you got the fine and you paid it, was it worth your while to actually move in the vehicle? And often we talk at City Hall about being efficient, uh, getting more done with less. And the difficulty we're finding with street sweeping or with uh, people parked in the, in the snowman area 
is the efficiency of that crew is diminished every time they hit an obstacle. So uh, by removing those obstacles, we can clean the snow quicker, we can be out of there, and we can be on to the next section without too much of a difficulty. So the, the idea was bringing it in line with the rest of the municipalities across the country. Uh, we are now the same, and we're still some of the lowest, um, but we are now the same as the street sweeping fines, where the snow ban was quite a bit less than that at one time. There have been four snow route parking bans in the city so far this year, and I know a few people during those cases have said, I don't have anywhere else to put my vehicle. For those who have that concern, what is the message that you'd like to get across to them? Well, I had one scenario where the individual uh, came to our office and said, I have no place, I can't do this, and and when we looked at the uh, the uh, property. Uh, They had an alley, uh, but they blocked off their parking, so they had no parking on their own property. Uh, And then they were concerned about where to put their vehicles. So uh, we have to find different ways, and there are different methods, and there's different ways of that you can actually place the vehicle. Um, And if you're a property that has no parking, and you have two or three vehicles, unfortunately, responsibility lies upon yourself to do it. Those who have uh, front garages, you've got four parking stalls. And if that isn't enough, you know, if they have a double garage, then we have a bit of difficulty. Those with lanes, you can temporary park in the alley as long as there's no parking signs and you don't block someone else's movement. So I think there's many different ways that we can do uh, move things for a snow ban. So um, I think it's getting to that point of finding compliance to just to make the city operate better. Has there been any discussion yet in terms of allowing people who know that the crews have left the area to go back and park on those streets? I think that's something that we certainly have to look at, getting a quicker response to return to the community. Um, You know, I don't think that if a street is actually plowed, uh, why you shouldn't be able to go back and and do there, even though the whole community is not done or the time is not not expired. Uh, That's the, I would hope, that would be some of the the logical... uh, discussions that uh, uh, the Calgary Parking Authority would have saying, okay, it's done, they parked here, but let's go on to where it's not completed. And I was in another municipality, a street sweeping, unfortunately, at the time, and I was told as I was visiting, because they saw my Alberta plates, uh, and they said, you have to move, otherwise you're going to get towed and ticketed tomorrow's street sweeping. They had signs at every corner in that one area where they were sweeping, and tow trucks went ahead of the plows mm-hmm. or of the sweepers at that time they towed everything and people knew they had a hundred percent compliance we have to get to that cooperation between the uh, residents and the administration trying to do an efficient job and i think maybe we're getting there but it's going to take a little while because this is still relatively new even though it's been a few years yeah it's been one of those things that i think everybody talks about education before enforcement in a sense and we've sort of almost hit that point where you almost have to turn the page on the education part and say, listen, you've been here long enough, you should know the rules. And I would, I would hope that's where we're at. Um, you know, the, the, there are many parking lots out there that we could probably temporarily use for it. Uh, you might have to walk a little bit to, you know, get your car out of there. But, and this is only on the snowban roads. Remember that not all roads in a community are snowbanned. Mm-hmm. It's only the ones that have transit in a number of these scenarios. So, uh, you know, if you can't go uh, a little ways and park off of the street somewhere, 
uh, that's what we have to get is is get to compliance and get to respect so that we can actually do the job and and in in essence save the taxpayer some money because the quicker it's done the more efficient it's done the less we have to do well we do have you on the phone uh you mentioned off the top there there was some discussion at committee today about green line what is the latest there well, what we're talking about is is uh, coming up with a timeline from now till the end of next year to actually have the uh, request for qualifications, request for proposals, and then start construction shortly after that. And and they were talking about you know getting into the expertise of uh, talking to specific companies on an ongoing basis. Uh, say the the tunneling aspect is very specialized, and there's very few countries around the world that can actually do what we're talking about. So so let's talk about that section with them and let's uh, separate the other sections so that we can actually go forward because the city of Calgary has great experience on building uh, the rest of the um Green Line Phase 1, you might say, which is the at-grade or undergrade or, uh, you know, overpasses and, and, uh, and the small tunnels, but not the large ones. So separate those two so you can actually move forward. And then let's look at the LRV purchase. Uh, that could be another separate uh, entity because, again, we need to move forward on that. So let's move forward on the things we can. Let's have continue discussions with the companies that do the specialized information rather than trying to bring it all together. Is this a conversation that you're expecting to have to revisit at all over the next year or so because we do have two uh, two elections coming up? Uh, no, I don't see at all. Uh, I mean, we have to make sure that the, the province signs the papers and gets it done, and that that should be done ASAP. Uh, the federal government agreement is signed and delivered. Uh, the negotiations of the province is, has been ongoing, and they're just trying to finalize the correct terms. Uh, once that's done, it's a contract. And, and I would hope that any government coming in is, is willing and, and to honor contracts signed by previous governments. So I don't think it's something we have to revisit. Shane, I appreciate the time as always. Thank you. Ward 12 Councillor Shane Keating on the program as he was part of Transportation and Transit Committee today. One of the recommendations that you're going to hear through the course of the afternoon in the news is around increasing the fines for ignoring the snow route parking bans and parking in those areas that you're not supposed to be parking in. As uh, Councillor Keating said, Calgary has the lowest fine across the country when you consider an early payment will cost you 40 bucks on a $75 ticket. The proposed new fine, $120 with the option of early payment, making it 80 bucks. Already, some people on the text line saying it's just another cash grab. Just another reason for the, the city to be, the city's in debt, so we need more money. Either way, if you don't, I always go by the argument. It's a lot like photo radar, and I know that's a completely other topic, but uh, with photo radar, it's the same thing. If you don't want to get a ticket, don't do it. Skalgar today on 770 CHQR. Another story that we are watching is the Edward Downey trial. We bring in Global's Nancy Hicks. Hello there, Nancy. Thanks so much for having me. Let's talk about today first. And what have we seen on the stand and what have uh, what has the jury heard? Well, today, and I mean, there's a there's a reason I'm not posting a lot on social media. It's, it's quite the interesting discussion that happens on social media. People are posting saying, I want to know more. I want to know more. And there are some times... Um, where you just have to take a step back as a journalist, in my opinion, um, and not post things that are just too graphic. So uh, if you look on my social media today, there's 
only a couple of posts, and that is because the testimony today was very, very difficult. And it's specifically to do with um, the investigation into the death of little Talia Marsman. And uh, there was a forensic entomologist who testified, and through that, she's able to determine at what point, um, what time, a, a window that Talia would have been killed. So very graphic, very detailed, and uh, important evidence. Like, this is all very important evidence, but um, to give the play-by-play of that is just a little bit much. How difficult is it to, to find that happy medium in a sense where you're being informative, but at the same time you're, you're not jumping on top of the rights of the victims and, and those who are involved in this? Like, it's tough to find a balance, but I think you always have to think, um, you know, if the family members are reading this, are they going to find this really graphic, really gruesome? Is it necessary? Another question is, is it related to the death of a child like Talia? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's been other cases as well, you know, uh, the Soretsky case where we had the death of a little girl. And in that case, you know, Global News, we were very, very, very respectful and we were very... um, Like we took extra care with what we posted and what we didn't post. And this case is no different. So, you know, if if there's people that feel like they need to know more, um, you know, the the courtroom's open. Anybody can attend. But we want to make sure that our coverage is really respectful, factual, and that we get across the evidence and the information that people who are following the case would want to know. But at the same time, we want to be very respectful and not graphic. One of the things that we can't really paint a picture of, because unlike the U.S. system in Canada, we don't allow uh, cameras in the courtrooms. But So I'm hoping you're able to paint us a little bit of a picture in terms of what the emotions have been like in that courtroom, because we've heard a lot of the facts, but it's still, there's a lot of family in there. There's a lot on both sides. There's a lot of people who are are watching over uh, what has been a a very detailed and and very uh, descriptive descriptive testimony over the last week? I can tell you that on almost a daily basis, I think yesterday was the only day where it wasn't almost insanely emotional, like just so overwhelmingly emotional in that room. Yesterday's evidence, uh, you know, was very fact-based and it still, it still had some emotional moments because, because of course you're dealing with the death of, of these people's loved ones. But for the most part, on a daily basis, the family members, a lot are breaking down in the courtroom. A lot of times, it's just so much that they have to get up and leave, take a break. It, it, it's graphic. It's difficult. And they're, you know, they're listening to the play-by-play of exactly what happened to, you know, a young mother and her daughter. So it's very, like, raw emotions in the courtroom. It's just... it's. You know, it's really difficult and um, heartbreaking to actually see the emotion. Um, and then people have also, on the other side of things, been asking the emotion of the accused. And you know, this is this is very typical in in a lot of cases where we see the accused sitting in the prisoner's box and they don't exhibit any emotion. And that's basically what we are seeing here. So. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the questions that I was going to ask you is is with Edward Downey, during the course of this trial, have we seen any kind of inkling, whether it be of emotion one or two, even looking over and observing the emotion that is in the courtroom? No, no emotion.
That says it all. Nancy Hicks, Global News Reporter at the Calgary Court Center. Uh, thanks so much for all you do. Thank you for your reporting. And we will continue to check in on that case in the week or so left that's scheduled. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.